A dog barks when his master is attacked. I would be a coward if I saw that God's truth is attacked and yet would remain silent. John Calvin. Get in the long teams with a bunch of demons. We believe that human beings are demons. Oh, I do not. And don't you ever say I did. This is my Bible. I am what it says I am. There's probably a, a balance between, I believe you have to know Christ, but... God, he's in hell. He is. And someone knows this for sure. All of mankind is going to end up somewhere in heaven. My mission really is to just help people of faith, especially, to re-examine this issue, to realize the church has got things wrong in the past. For those who are gods by faith in his son... <laughs> Right? Two Corinthians, three seven. Victory in the name which is above every name. There's no exception for rape or incest. Uh, it's an extreme law. And right now, bones, ligaments, tendons, in Jesus' name, get out here right now. Master's Dog, episode 59. I am your host, the Evangelical Norm. So the Master's Dog is a podcast where we deal with false teachers, heretics, heresies, you name it. Uh, If it is contradictory to the Word of God, I deal with it here. This started out as faith and beliefs refuted. I uh, responded to all of the um, podcasts, the YouTube uh, videos from Saints Unscripted, formerly known as the Three Mormons. They did a, a segment called Faith and Beliefs, and so I committed to respond to every one of those videos, which I have done, and then later on, when it became the Master's Dog, we expanded into, excuse me, all kinds of false teachers and false teachings. So today we are back in our roots. We are responding to the uh, Faith and Beliefs uh, over at Saints Unscripted, and this is part two of what we started with last week. Uh, Again, I was really shocked that they even did this video, but the internet is here, and they can't avoid these things anymore, so they've got to find a way to spin it to make it look good. So that's what David's job is going to be for us today, is he's going to get back into the um, Mountain Meadows Massacre, 
and he is going to spin it, and uh, we'll see what exactly he has to say about it, and we will we'll go from there, and I'll stop him when I need to stop him, and more than likely, he's going to get through the majority of this. There's not a whole lot in this that I have to really deal with, and then we'll we'll talk about what we can talk about at the end. So with that being said, here is our friend David Snell from Saints and Saints Unscripted. Hey guys, so in the last episode we covered probably the worst event in Latter-day Saint history, the Mountain Meadows Massacre. If you don't know what that is, go watch this episode right now to get caught up. Otherwise, this ain't gonna make sense. You lost me again. Ah, yeah. But that was interesting. Because in this episode we're gonna look at what happened after the massacre and answer some common questions. Now, this is a challenging thing to do because if you'll remember, the perpetrators tried to cover up their crime by blaming the whole massacre on local Paiutes. When that plan failed, all sorts of conflicting stories came forward about what had happened. So we're stuck with the job of sorting through the muck and deciding who is trustworthy and who is not. Let's give it a shot. Okay, I don't know that I would, I mean Mountain Meadows Massacre is a, a horrible thing that is uh, uh, really a blight on LDS history and so on. But honestly, I would say the worst thing to ever happen in LDS history is the fabrication of a false religion. The, uh, the um, persistence in teaching a false God, a false gospel, a false Christ. Um, yeah, so I take those things as, as pretty bad. Um, when you fabricate a false religion that is leading millions of people to hell, um, you know, most people won't, uh, Mountain Meadows Massacre was horrible. A lot of people died, um, but Mormonism itself is far worse, leading, excuse me, millions of people to hell. While dozens of men were guilty of the crime, prosecutors really only went after the leaders instead of militia members just following orders. Only nine men were ever indicted for the massacre, and only one of them, John D. Lee, was convicted and executed. A few of those nine went into hiding for a very long time, one man got off easy by turning state's evidence, some others were arrested, but ultimately prosecutors only pursued the case against John D. Lee. His first trial, years after the crime in the 1870s, was really only a facade for a larger political issue about the statehood of Utah and the power of the Church of Jesus Christ. The real goal was to implicate Brigham Young in the crime and strike a blow to the church. But for John D. Lee, it ended with a hung jury. He was convicted and sentenced in his second trial soon after. Why did prosecution take so many years? Well, in 1858, after the Utah War, U.S. President James Buchanan made a proclamation of general amnesty offering to the inhabitants of Utah who shall submit to the laws a free pardon for the seditions and treasons heretofore by them committed. There was confusion among government officials as to whether the massacre was covered under the amnesty. One judge initiated an investigation, but it didn't lead to any indictments. Then the Civil War happened, postponing further federal investigation until the 1870s. Did Brigham Young actually order the attack on the wagon train passing through Mountain Meadows? The evidence indicates he did not give the order and had no knowledge of the attack until after it happened. The real problem is that Brigham Young was, is, and will continue to be a controversial figure, and the possibility of branding him a mass murderer in a sinister conspiracy was, and is, too tempting for many to pass up. He wasn't attacking the city, he was trying to save it, that's slander. It is not. I resent that. Slander is spoken. 
in print, it's libel. Most people who believe Brigham Young ordered the massacre will cite confessions of John D. Lee. Now, putting this into context, prosecutors offered to spare Lee's life if he implicated Brigham Young. Lee chose death instead. But then in his autobiography, published after his death, we read that he actually did believe that the massacre was the result of the direct command of Brigham Young. So something is certainly fishy about Lee's story. Many scholars attribute these <clears throat> expansions to Lee's defense attorney, who edited and owned the rights to Lee's autobiography. One newspaper wrote that the autobiography was a little Lee and a little lawyer. On the other hand, there's good evidence that Brigham was innocent. For example, we have a copy of the original letter from Brigham Young to Isaac Haight that arrived two days too late. In it, Brigham instructed the saints to not meddle with the emigrants and to let them go in peace. It's found chronologically just where it should be in Brigham's letter books. To be fair, some people think it's all a conspiracy. A guy named Will Bagley wrote a book ominously called Blood of the Prophets, Brigham Young and the Massacre at Mountain Meadows, in which he tries to make a case to prove Brigham was the man behind the curtain. If you're familiar with his arguments and want to know why many don't find them credible, check out the relevant link in the description because it's a long story. Did Brigham Young try to cover up the truth about what had happened? There are conflicting reports of how much of the truth Brigham knew and when. Historian and author Thomas Alexander believes that when John D. Lee reported the massacre to President Young in late September 1857, as per the perpetrator's invented alibi, he blamed it all on the Paiutes. But the real truth came incrementally. By late June 1858, Young knew that Mormons had helped commit the murders, although he probably did not know the full extent of their involvement. Contrary to the usual story, which interprets Young's role as the author of the massacre, or faults Young either for refusing to investigate it or for erecting a stone wall against the investigation, it is clear that he consistently asked for an investigation and trials. Nevertheless, he wanted to protect his people, and he did a number of things to try to accomplish that end. At times, he could be less than forthright, and until 1870, he encouraged Lee to avoid public exposure and the federal marshals by living in secluded places. Could Young have done more to bring the perpetrators to justice? Certainly. So while I think it's clear that Brigham Young absolutely did not order or sanction this massacre, I will ding him for downplaying it after the fact. Five points from Gryffindor. And before the massacre, his fiery rhetoric and preaching certainly fostered a culture which inadvertently made the massacre more possible. You can see a lot of wartime fear leading up to this tragedy. And that's understandable considering the early persecution of the saints, but I'll still ding Brigham for stirring that pot of resistance. All right, we've done two episodes on this topic and we've barely scratched the surface still. If you want to dive deep, check out the resources in the description and also go to the transcript of this episode on our website where I've filled in some of the details and answered more questions in the footnotes. And have a great day. Alrighty, so there you go. Um, was Brigham Young involved? Again, with the, the information that we have, there's no real way to say yes or no. Um, what I would do is go back to Mormon theology and the fact that they say that God does nothing that he doesn't inform or uh, through work. I can't remember the, the exact quote, but God does nothing that doesn't involve his prophets. Um, if Brigham Young were truly a prophet of God, uh, would not have, would not God have said your people are about to do something horrible uh, to these other people? 
would they would God have not informed him if Brigham is is that prophet? Uh, again, this is this whether he he ordered the Mountain Meadows massacre, whether um, he was complicit. What the I mean, just the fact that supposedly he was encouraging Lee to hide away and uh, interfere with investigation and so on. This is not what a prophet does. And, you know, that's the, the, the real thing that we have to deal with with Brigham Young is this is whether it's an indictment on him criminally or legally. This is an indictment on being a prophet of God, because over and over and over through Brigham Young, Brigham Young is the the most thrown under the bus prophet of LDS history. They are David, Kwaku, consistently are having to really dismiss the things of Brigham Young because it was so uh, racist, <laughs> um, uh, just bad. I mean, this man was, was, uh, what's the word I'm looking for? Um, reprehensible. And I mean, with the amount of women that he, he took as his wife, uh, wives, the things he said about African-Americans, the things that he taught the Adam God doctrine, blood atonement, uh, and so on, really Impl- the implication is not, and especially for this podcast, the 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 uh, thread of this podcast, what what we look for here is whether or not this man is truly a man of God, um, and he's not. He's proven that over and over and over again, and this is just another of the myriad of issues that has that happened throughout the life and reign of Brigham Young as the prophet of the LDS church. Just one of many. Um, he, he is probably the most quoted in uh, strange teachings, false teachings, heretical teachings, racist teachings. I mean, it, it, so much of it falls on Brigham Young. Um, and this, the Mountain Meadows Massacre, is just one more in a long line of, of incidences that proves the fact that Brigham Young was not a man of God, was not a prophet of God, um, probably should have been in prison multiple times. I mean, who knows the, the full extent of, of the body count that can be attributed to Brigham Young through uh, groups like the Danites, Porter Rockwell, um, you know, these guys that, that Brigham, I don't know if Porter Rockwell was Joseph Smith's avenging angel, but I do believe he did, uh, did do, you know, dirty work for Brigham Young as well. So again, with, with all of the, the things that were taught, the blood atonement, who knows how many people died at the hand or the order of Brigham Young, whether or not these people at the Mountain Meadows Massacre were among them, um, but he obviously didn't do a whole lot to help uh, bring the men to justice. Uh, was was church discipline executed? Were any of these men excommunicated uh, from the LDS Church? I don't think so. Uh, you know, if if this were the case, he should have been 
kicking people out and not assisting in their defense. So there you go. There's there's my thoughts and so on on Brigham Young's involvement in the Mountain Meadows Massacre. We'll see what, what David has to say next week on part three. Um, and we'll see if that's actually going to wrap this up or not. So, again, one of the things that I always point out every so well, I don't always, but every so often, and I do want to point out again, the more serious the issue, the more damning the issue that they talk about against the Mormon uh, church, the more of these little funny clips that they, they throw in, because those are intentional. It's intended to make you laugh a little bit to where you don't, uh, look at the weight of the situation that they're dealing with quite as much. It becomes, with all these little funny things interspersed, it almost becomes a comical act that they're putting on, uh, no matter how uh, dark or weighty the the issue is. This is the way that they kind of lighten that uh, to where it's not such a big deal. And it's, it's, it's a psychological um, tactic that, works for the most part unless you recognize it which is why i want to point it out as often as i can so thanks guys for listening i hope this was helpful as always preach the gospel at all times use words they're necessary until next week soli deo gloria mm-hmm.